What do sheep do? That's the question I want to ask you today. What do sheep do? I don't want you to answer it. I just want to ask you. <laughs> but thanks for that, Lynn. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> I want to read the text we're uh, in today. And I want you to listen with that question in mind before we start to uh, do a little uh, exposition maybe. This is John chapter 10, beginning with verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who's a hired hand and not a shepherd who doesn't own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon, and he's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This text continues from where we left off last time when Jesus was speaking about being the door. And he started at the beginning of chapter 10 of the book of John by talking about sheepfolds, and he just kind of laid out how sheepfolds work. There's like a corral for the sheep, and the sheep are inside the corral. If you see someone climbing over the wall, he says, uh, not the shepherd, but a robber. He's not coming to do the sheep any good. The shepherd comes to the gate, and he calls out his sheep. Apparently, there's sheep in there that are his sheep, and sheep in there that are not his sheep. And so his sheep recognize his voice, and they follow him. 
They won't follow a stranger, he says. They'll run away from a stranger. They don't know the stranger's voice. And then Jesus, that, that's sort of the basic framework. And then Jesus says, okay, now, I'm the door. I'm the way in and out. If you come in by me, you will be saved, he says. And you'll go in and out and find pasture. So we notice that Jesus is the way of salvation. And that he is the way of freedom in Christ. Then he says, the thief. Now, he's comparing himself here. And remember, all of this is in response to the question from the Pharisees, are we also blind? And really what he's saying to them is, oh, it's much worse than that. You have a much higher degree of accountability and therefore judgment than if you were merely blind. Because you're not just blind, you're thieves and robbers. I'm the good shepherd. He's comparing himself to those who were supposed to be shepherds of Israel. but not only failed in that responsibility, but abused it and actually led the sheep of God, the flock of God, astray. He says, I'm the good shepherd. And that's where we pick it up. He says, thieves come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I'm the good shepherd. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Have life. In reference to his people, the Savior, our Good Shepherd, is the one who gives life. Apparently, apart from whatever he does, we are not alive. He comes not just so we'll have a certain kind of life, but so that we will have life. And I think as we proceed through this text, we're going to see how he connects us again to the source of life himself. And so we have life in him. And he's come not just so that we would be alive again, but also that we would be really alive. And then he makes this interesting statement, which is repeated several times in this text. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's a bit of a refrain in this text. He's going to say it again and again. 
slightly different each time. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. How, we might ask, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's how. You see, in that expression, for the sheep, the word that we translate into English, for, literally means on behalf of or for the sake of. And what is in reference here in the book of John, every time John uses this word in the book of John, it is a reference to some sort of intentional sacrifice for someone. So he's talking about the substitution, the atoning sacrifice that he will make on behalf of his sheep. Now, it's hard for me to know how anybody listening to him that day would have known exactly what he was talking about when he said, I will lay down my life for the sheep. And he's going to say more than that. But that's what he is talking about. His life given for theirs. And he says, this is not something a hired hand would do. Now, what's his point? Is he trying to tell us and warn us about hired hands? I don't think so. What he's saying is, this is how you know I'm not a hired hand. But the real good shepherd, the one who actually owns the sheep, the one to whom the sheep really belong. Because a hired hand won't lay down his life for the sheep. If the hired hand sees a wolf coming along, he runs. He saves himself and not the sheep. But the good shepherd saves the sheep by giving himself. So, I am the good shepherd, he says in verse 14. We know he's the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. We know he's the good shepherd because he says here, I know my own and my own know me. Now this is grounded in what he said in the first part of the chapter when he just described how this whole sheepfold thing works. When the shepherd shows up, the sheep that belong to that shepherd recognize that shepherd's voice and follow him wherever he might lead them. He's leading them out to pasture. So he says this, he claims this particularly to himself, I know my own and my own know me. Jesus recognizes those who belong to him and they recognize him. There's more than just recognition going on here, isn't there? Because he says this most remarkable thing. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know him. He's going to repeat this toward the end of the book of John when he's talking about the, 
people he, that the Father has given to him, he receives, and the ultimate intention is that we would all be one in him, and that he loves us with the love the, with which the Father loves him. Think of it now. This is one of these things where we're so used to hearing it that we forget how crazy it is. The love with which our good shepherd loves us, his sheep, is the very love he has eternally from God the Father. And he says we will love each other with this same love. And we will be one with him like he is one with the Father. This is unimaginable. We have no idea how good it is to be one of his sheep. Oh, that's kind of typical of sheep, I suppose. They're kind of dumb. But they know their shepherd. You know, you don't have to be that smart if you know your shepherd. You go where he leads you, you know you're safe. You know you're good. You know you're going to be well fed. You know you're going to be lying down by the still waters, as the psalmist said. You're secure in him. You don't have to be that smart. Sheep that don't have shepherds, they're in trouble. That doesn't make them smarter, but it means they need to be a whole lot smarter. They tend to be stolen, killed, destroyed. <clears throat> now he says, I know my own, my own know me, just like the Father knows me, and I know the Father. He's speaking of a fellowship that we have the flock of God in Christ, a fellowship that we have with him and with God in him, and consequently, of course, with one another in him. And then he repeats himself, I lay down my life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, I know my own, my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's the second time he said that. How do you and I know God? The scripture is quite explicit about this up there in 1 John. This is how we know God. He sent his son. A sacrifice for sin. That's how. Jesus is the revelation of the Father to us. In Him we know God. In Him we have fellowship with God and God with us. Because He laid down His life for us. Apart from that, there isn't any such thing as knowing God. God is a stranger to us. We, of course don't mind that. We'd rather go without God unless Jesus 
gets a hold of us unless we're one of his sheep and therefore when he comes along we recognize him. Then he says something really surprising. I have other sheep. Now let me tell you, if you were a first century, well I don't know what century it was to them, but if you were a first century Jew and the Lord said to you, I have other sheep, you would go, what? Now you would say that, but of course if you read the book of Isaiah very carefully, you'd know it. That passage we read this morning says, to the nations, to the nations, to the nations, going all the way back to Abraham, where God said to Abraham, out of you I will produce a nation, and out of that nation I will bless all the nations. From, God, from the very beginning, God's intention is to call his sheep from every nation, but it would have surprised us if we were first century Jews to hear this announcement. And he says two things that are kind of a surprise, I think. He says, first of all, not everyone in this fold is mine. And I think if you were a first century Jew, you would think, I belong to God because my parents are Jewish. But Jesus says, not everyone in this fold is mine. And then he says, some of my sheep are not from this fold. Some of my sheep are out there somewhere. And he says, I will lead them also. Well, here we are. Here we are. Having been led. We are not of this fold, most of us, I suppose. We are not of that fold he was talking about there and then. We are of that other group. <laughs> the ones that are out there. I imagine that story from the other Gospels where the good shepherd has lost track of one of his sheep and he leaves most of them to find the one that's missing. That's us Gentiles. Us Gentile sheep. That's who we are, the others. And he says, I will lead them also. And he's using the same terminology. He says, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And here when he says in uh, verse 16, I will bring, that's the same word, I will bring them to. I will lead them to. And they will listen. That's the same word that was here in the first. My sheep hear. Here, it's the same word in the original akuo, the Greek word for hearing. They will listen to my voice. Same word. They recognize his voice. So my sheep are uh, here in this fold and then uh, there's more of my sheep scattered all over everywhere else and we're going to go lead them too. And then there will be one flock and one shepherd. So here we are, part of the one flock with one shepherd. 
Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And then it's almost like he changes the subject. Except he's sticking with the line, I lay down my life. Get a load of this. For this reason, the Father loves me. Did you know the Father had a reason? For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life. Wow. Is this saying that Jesus, the Son of God, had to earn the Father's love by laying down his life? Well, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? What is it saying? What it's saying is the atoning death of Christ and his resurrection, because he says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. The atoning death of Christ and his resurrection are inherent in the eternal love of the triune God. Now, what I mean is, this atoning sacrifice is part of the affection of the Father for the Son in the Trinity forever. This plan of the redemption, of the calling of his sheep, of his laying down his life and rising again, this plan is in the eternal mandate of God. It is part of God's very character and nature, this covenant between the Father and the Son that he would lay down his life for the sins of his people and so redeem them into the fellowship of God. The love of the Father for the Son is wrapped up into the admiration of this act going back to before they made anything. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. We are in very deep water here. We are learning something about the fellowship of the Trinity here that includes our salvation. He says, no one takes it from me. Now, this I think is sort of like this. Now, it might look like they take it from me when it happens. It might look like they're doing it to me. And in a certain respect, that'll even be true. But apart from this eternal plan of God and my own personal intention to lay it down, they could never do that. Nobody's taking my life. I'm giving it, he says. I'm laying it down of my own accord. 
Now, if you are a careful reader of the book of John, you know that Jesus says quite frequently that he doesn't do anything of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Oh, well, so he says that again here. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up. Again, this mandate I have received from my Father. Now, this wasn't like a commandment that God said, hey, you have to go lay down your life and take it up again for the salvation of our sheep. And the son said, all right, I guess I will if I have to. Now, there's perfect union between father and son. You can't tell where the one commands and the other volunteers come together. But the authority is his. He has the right, this very same word that is show, that's translated authority, I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up. You know where else this word appears in the book of John? It's in chapter 1. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right, the authority to be called sons of God. It's like... This uh, privilege of decision belongs to him. He has the authority, the mandate, the commandment. And now because the father has given him this charge, he has the authority to lay down his life and to take it up again for the salvation of his sheep. When we think about what God is doing, we are in over our heads. Now the end result of all this is there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and he's crazy. They're still saying it. He has a demon. He's crazy. Why listen to him? If you listen to him, you're crazy. Because he's obviously nuts. He's talking about God as his father in a way that is unprecedented. And quite frankly, blasphemous. If it's not true. I think you can see here in this text, and this is a bit of a detour, I think you can see here in this text this argument that's quite often made. Jesus does not leave the uh, proposition, he's a good guy and we would do well to follow his example on the table. Because if he's not the living God, the sacrifice for sin the died and resurrected one, he is a total nut, or worse. 
And these guys can see that. They don't believe he's the son of God as he is claiming. So what's the alternative? He's either crazy or he's demonically crazy. And they are not people who use the word he has a demon in a figurative way. What they're saying is nobody would say what this guy is saying if he wasn't demonic. Now, people go around all the time these days saying, well, we'd love to follow Jesus. What a great moral teacher he was. No, he wasn't. He was not a great moral teacher. He's the Savior. And if you follow him, try to follow him and you don't know him as the one who lays down his life for the sheep well that won't work and it won't last either Martin Luther said look there's nothing good in Christ to those who don't know Christ where do you find God in this world not where everyone looks. The place you find God is laying down his life for the sheep and this is behavior that should not be anticipated from God. No one's looking on the cross for God. There's nothing good about that. Except that there's everything good about it to those who see it for what it really is. He says, I have authority. I lay it down. And this argument happens. Many of them said, he has a demon. He's crazy. We're not listening to him. And neither should you. And others said, these are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now they're remembering what, this, what started this whole discussion, right? He opened the eyes of the blind. A man born blind, a specific messianic prophecy that identifies him to be the Christ. And they're saying, look, if, it, if this was a demon, he could not do that. And I think the shepherd is at the door. The good shepherd's at the door. And there are sheep that are not his. So they don't recognize his voice. And they are certainly not following him. Now I asked you at the beginning to say, to think while I read this text, what do the sheep do? It was a bit of a trick question. I love trick questions because the sheep don't do anything, do they? Well, I'm going to give you a list. Here's what the sheep do. We receive life from him abundantly. He knows us and we know him. 
He leads us, and we follow him. We listen to his voice. We recognize it. We are one flock. He lays down his life for our sake. And he takes it up again. He is our good shepherd. What do we do? You realize there's not a single commandment in that list. Not one. There's nothing where he says, and you must. It's all a bunch of things he does. Or the thieves do this, or the the uh, hired hands do this. And what we do is experience his shepherding. We recognize his voice because something's true about us. Not, not because we're skillful voice recognizers. We're his sheep. Here's something. When he showed up, we either belonged to him or we did not already. And it's a simple question, do we see him for who he is? If we do, we will follow. No stick is necessary. He takes care of his own. What sheep do is rest in the shepherd's care. He's a good shepherd. So I can't tell you anything to do. I can ask you the question, do you recognize him? Do you recognize him? <clears throat> then as one of his sheep, rest in the care of the shepherd. That's as close as I can get to a commandment here. I went to preaching school and they tell me you should always tell everyone what to do in every sermon. You should tell everyone what, you know, what this text leads you to do. And what this text leads you to do is, well, if you're one of his, rest in his care. And here's how I know you're one of his. You rest in his care. It's really that simple. This is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He's done everything necessary. Receiving this gift is really quite passive. Yes, thank you, is all there is to it. Father, we give you thanks for sending us 
the Good Shepherd. Father, help us to learn, to simply follow, to receive his provision, and every day to walk by faith in grace. Lord, help us to share this love. Lord, we know we have a role in finding all those other sheep, so Lord, we uh, anticipate that with joy. Help us to listen to your voice. Help us to live in the unity that you provide. Father, we give you thanks for all that you have done for us in Christ. We pray in his name and by his spirit. Amen.